we'll make a start. Thank you all so much for coming. Um, it's great to see this room full again. Um, first of all, apologies from uh, Benjamin Smith, who was supposed to be chairing. He's not able to come. So I, uh, I'm Tom Raff. I teach uh, Mexican and Latin American history here at UCL. So I'm stepping in quickly to, to, to chair as well as do a, a short <coughs> presentation. Um, the purpose of the... This meeting is to, is to um, recognise the second anniversary, uh, roughly, of the events in Iguala, yeah. 2014, um, and also to try and put them in some sort of broader context to ponder their significance, and um, the idea being that the, disappear the enforced disappearances of the students uh, in Iguala and the, the murder of several of them uh, the shocking and important events in and of themselves, but of course they're the tip of the iceberg of a much larger crisis of human rights which Mexico has been living through for a number of years now. So uh, it's really, that's, that's what we're going to, to try and talk about. Um, crisis of human rights abuses, disappearances in particular, and impunity for those abuses. Um, so we're very, very fortunate to have uh, two speakers here today. Uh, to help us shed, shed some light on that. Uh, first of all, we have uh, Leticia Leti Hidalgo, one of the founders of the United Forces for the Disappeared in the State of Nuevo Leon. Um, Leticia has worked since 2011 uh, searching for her own son, Roy Rivera Hidalgo, and many thousands of others in the state and outside of it. Um, in this capacity, she has Petition, been a petitioner in front of the Inter-American Commission of Human Rights, and she's been recently very prominent in sit, the movement for citizen-led exhumations of, of mass graves and non-mass graves, uh, which perforate Mexico to an extent which we still don't know. Uh, and in this capacity, has recently been involved um, advising and directing the, a new initiative with the University of Durham, I think, citizen-led forensic uh, team funded by the, one of the research councils in the UK. Um, so we have Leticia. After that we will have, uh, very also, also pleased to, to, to have um, Ed Guyami, who is a long-time writer for The Guardian and The Observer newspaper in this country. Uh, among his many other published works, he's the author of Mexico, War Along the Borderline, which um, is a fascinating look at contemporary Mexico. I think I can still say contemporary um, it was published a few years ago, and it won the Rizard Kapuscinski Award in 2013, I believe. Uh, and then also there's me, who I've already introduced. So, uh, I think before we get on to uh, our main panel, what we're going to do, I think, is have a, sh a short presentation from London, Mexico Solidarity, yeah. just kind of bringing everyone up to speed. Uh, then we will have a short video <coughs> message before moving on to the presentations. Yes, thanks so much. Uh, I'm going to share with you just a chronology of the main facts around the Yotzinapa case, and we'll focus on, the, on what happened in the second year, as you know. Uh, on September 26, 2014, the students from the teacher's training at college, Raul Isidro Burgos, were attacked by different police forces. It will be later confirmed that different agencies of the state would be involved in this attack, including uh, uh, police forces from two municipalities, Cocula and Iguala, uh, police forces from the state of Guerrero, federal police, which is the national police, and members of the army. 
uh, it was confirmed later that the army especially gathered information about the, the movements of the students before, during, and after the attack, and that they were uh, asked for help in different moments, in different episodes of the night of the 26th, and they denied any help. Uh, on November 7th, uh, the official investigation is presented, uh, which, is, which was uh, named by uh, Jesus Murillo Caram, the General Attorney of Mexico, as a historical truth. As m you may know, um, the historical truth says that the students were taken by local police forces only, that they were handed over to uh, members of the uh, Guerreros Unidos drug cartel, and that they were killed in the Cocula uh, rubbish dump, and then they were burned. Uh, that's the main, uh, the main argument of the uh, historical truth. And in a, uh, November 18, the Inter-American Commission of Human Rights formalizes a cooperation agreement with the Mexican government to start uh, uh, a series of, uh, to start a work to assist the Mexican government in the investigation. Uh, the main uh, feature of this uh, agreement is the participation of a group of experts in the investigation. They will have access to the information. They will have uh, also the responsibility to bring the, uh, recommendations to the Mexican state. Uh, in 2015, uh, after six months of work, the group of experts uh, shares the first uh, report that they produced. I'm going to comment on the first report later. I just want uh, to check the, the main facts about uh, around this case in 2016. Um, on, 17, on February 17th, Peña Nieto visits uh, Guerrero for the first time, basically six months later, uh, or after the attack. And he says that uh, regarding uh, that Ayotzinapa shows that Mexico is going in the right way because the government was tackling the abuses that uh, were reported by the students. So he uses that moment to say that uh, the government was doing uh, the part in the investigation. Uh, on early April, the group of experts, um, well, the government says that they will not renovate or renew uh, the mandate given to the group of experts. So they will not allow to stay in the country and keep uh, their work on the, on the, uh, on the case of Ayotzinapa. By the end of April, the group of experts uh, shares the second report, and they conclude their work just one week later. On May 16th, uh, um, the official investigation of, uh, conducted by the Mexican government says that this is not a case of enforced disappearances, that this is just a case of privation of liberty, and that there is enough evidence to say that students were killed and burned just as the historical trust maintains. On July, uh, late July, it's announced a new agreement of cooperation between the Mexican government and the Inter-American Human Rights Commission uh, that, will, that will be operated only uh, from September onwards. And it's important to say that uh, in Aug on August uh, 13, on the International Day of the Disappeared, uh, there was a public debate about uh, the case of Ayotzinapa with Amnesty International saying that uh, disappearances are, are a widespread phenomenon in Mexico, along with torture and femicides, while the Mexican government was saying that they were tackling these problems, that they were uh, pursuing a human rights agenda, that they was, uh, were solving the, uh, the case of Ayotzinapa. 
I'm just going to comment on the, on the first report of the, of the group of experts, uh, which basically concludes that the historical, uh, the official investigation of the Mexican government was based on the manipulation and destruction of evidence to support the thesis that the, um, that the students were incinerated in Cocula. Uh, they say that there are different lines of investigation that can be maintained from the very information that the Mexican government has as part of their investigation. Uh, so they say that different, that different lines of investigation should be pursued in this investigation. Um, they also say that, this, that it was a coordinated attack, that multiple attacks happened on the night of the 26th, um, involving different authorities. Um, they share a report uh, arguing for the impossibility of the incineration uh, in the Kukula dump, uh, and they say that there is a new hypothesis that has to be uh, investigated, which is that the students, without any knowledge, had probably taken a bus that had some uh, drugs uh, that were on their way to the United States. So they say that the evidence supporting this hypothesis of a fifth bus that wasn't investigated by the government was basically ignored or even destroyed by the, uh, by the Mexican government. Uh, they also report on human rights abuses. Uh, basically, the evidence, uh, sorry, the historical truth uh, is based, they say, on testimonies of, of suspects that were uh, tortured during the, the investigation. And they also report on different bureaucratic problems, like, for instance, the, all, uh, the file is distributed across different offices in Mexico, even across different states, and they say that makes it more complicated for the families to get access to, to, this, to the information. Uh, on 2016, the group of experts uh, shares their mm -hmm. second report, and they provide more evidence to support that there was a manipulation of information, in this case by the chief of the agency of criminal investigation, Tomás Herón. Um, that's important because what they show is a video that proves that Ferron went to the Cocula uh, rubbish dump one, uh, in a visit that is not reported in the official investigation. The video shows Ferron with some bags that are identical to bags that the next day in a reported visit uh, are said to contain the remnants of uh, the students. So they prove that, um, that, uh, that Tomás Heron, the chief of the agency of criminal investigation, uh, created evidence or put some evidence uh, that went on report, uh, that uh, wasn't reported in the official investigation. On September 15, Theron um, resigned from his position as chief of the agency of criminal investigation, but just um, to be appointed as secretary of the National Council for Public Security a position that depends directly on the Mexican president. Uh, on April 26th, um, the Human Rights Commission of Mexico validates sign of, signs of torture in those uh, detainees that were, whose testimonies were used to support the historical investigation. And mainly the more, the, uh, maybe the most um, polemical element of the investigation is about the, the possibility or impossibility of the massive fire in Cocula, um, that the historical truth says uh, was used to uh, disappear even 
any human remnant from the students. In February 2016, the, uh, the Argentine team of, anthrop of anthropology says that, um, that they backed the report of the group of experts, that they backed the thesis that it was impossible to create such a massive fire, that the conditions of the Kukula uh, rubbish dump uh, don't prove that there was a fire. Nevertheless, on April, just two weeks before the, uh, the, um, the last report uh, of the group of experts, the General Attorney Office uh, makes public a survey study that says that there was found evidence that at least 19 bodies um, were born in the Kokula uh, uh, tomb. So, but they never, but nevertheless, they couldn't prove that one of these bodies uh, were uh, associated directly to the students. In July, uh, the Argentinian team of forensic anthropology repeats that there is no evidence of massive fire. And as maybe as some of you may know, in the last week's Torero, which is the expert that um, collaborated with a group of experts, um, uh, share a video trying to prove the impossibility of the, of the massive fire. What he argues is that even in uh, ideal conditions that he uh, had in his laboratory, uh, it's impossible to burn 43 bodies without leaving a remnant, uh, not only of the bodies, but also of the material used to produce the incineration. So I, I want to, uh, well, I'm focusing now on this part of all the discussion about the possibility or impossibility of this incineration, because in uh, the last piece of information is that the Inter-American Human Rights Commission um, is operating a new mechanism, and they say that the new mechanism has to depart from the thesis that it's impossible to sustain that, uh, the, 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 the hypothesis of the fire. So all these uh, discussions about the fire, the Inter-American Human Rights Commission says, uh, are just uh, uh, something that we need to overcome now, and we need to, to, to start opening new lines of investigation. Thank you. Okay, so um, thank you for that update. I think we're gonna now move on to the video message. Mm -hmm. Bueno, mi vida era normal. Yo asistía a la escuela, tenía aspiraciones de ser maestro, contribuir a mi comunidad, pero después del 26 de septiembre, de pronto, pues todo cambia. Ahora no queda más que mantener la denuncia, encontrar a nuestros compañeros para poder rehacer nuestras vidas. De la población a nivel de Guerrero y a nivel nacional, o sea, todos se identificaron con Ayotzinapa. De pronto todos estaban en las plazas públicas, en las calles, eh, manifestándose una cosa, que México ya no puede seguir así. Yo creo que la respuesta de la población civil ante el impacto del acontecimiento del 26 de septiembre pues fue espontáneo, fue una movilización que trascendió a Yosinapa, trascendió el movimiento estudiantil. Bueno, yo creo que la solidaridad internacional de América Latina, Estados Unidos, Canadá, Europa y otras regiones del mundo ha sido vital para este movimiento. Sin eso, yo creo que al país o al gobierno mexicano le valdría madre. O sea, lo que más le duele es que fuera del país 
se sepa de Ayotzinapa y que de pronto mexicanos o de otros países estén frente a los consulados de México manifestándose por los 43 o por la solución de la crisis de los derechos humanos en México, pues es algo que le cala hasta los huesos. Y es por eso que andamos acá y no vamos a parar, o sea, ya nada más hace falta quizá organizarnos un poquito más y, y decirles a estos cabrones que no, no, no vamos a parar y que tenemos que encontrar a nuestros compañeros. Y por eso, pues, muchas gracias compañeros por apoyarnos hasta el día de hoy. to a uh, presentation from Leticia uh, and uh, Maria will be translating for, for everybody. Buenas tardes, soy Leti Hidalgo, madre de, de Roy Rivera desaparecidos por policías municipales en Nuevo León, México. Good afternoon. I'm Irma Leticia Hidalgo. I'm the mother of Roy Rivera Hidalgo, who was disappeared on the 11th of June of 2011 in, by municipal police uh, forces in the state of Nuevo León, Mexico. Roy es mi hijo mayor. Tengo dos hijos. Y él estaba estudiando en la Universidad de Nuevo León. Tenía 18 años en ese momento. Roy uh, is my oldest son. I have two sons. Uh, Roy was studying at the uh, Autonomous University of Nuevo León when they uh, took him away. And he was studying... Uh, well, he didn't say that, but... He was studying uh, language sciences. Ahora él debe tener 24 años. Now he must be 24 years old. Um, el 11 de enero a la una de la mañana. On the 11th of January at 1 a.m. Un grupo de personas entra a mi casa. A group of people entered my home. Encapuchados. With their faces covered. Armados. With arms. <coughs> entran a mi casa y roban todos los objetos que, que ellos encuentran de valor. And they stole everything that they thought that had some value. Y se llevan lo más valioso que había en mi casa, que es uno de mis hijos. And they took one of the most important things and most valuable thing, things that were in my house, that is one of my sons. Desde ese día, eh, yo no denuncio, no, no hago una denuncia a la policía. On that day, I didn't uh, report this to the police. Porque 
son los mismos. Because they are the same people. En Nuevo León empieza empezó una guerra contra el narcotráfico. In Nuevo León, a war, a war against the drug dealers started. En la cual, gracias, la nos dejaron a las personas normales, a la a la sociedad civil nos dejaron en medio. In which um, normal people, regular people, were in the middle of this war. De la policía y de los carteles de la droga. Of the police and of the cartons, uh, drug cartels. Um, Roy is uno de los más de 2,500 uh, Roy is one of the more than 2,500 people disappeared just in Nuevo León. La mayoría de ellos son varones. The majority of them are men. En edad productiva. In working age. Jóvenes. Young men. Y nosotros decimos que todas las desapariciones en Nuevo León, en México. And we say that all the disappearances in Nuevo León and in Mexico. Son forzadas. Are enforced disappearances. Es decir... Um, tuvo la participación de algún agente del Estado. Which means that they have, uh, that some member of the state was involved. Yo necesito traer a Roy a casa. I need to bring back Roy home. Bring back home, Roy. Nuestros estudiantes de Guerrero. Our students from Guerrero. En 2012, cuando fueron desaparecidos. En 2014. 2014. En 2014, cuando fueron desaparecidos. Mostraron al mundo. They showed the world. Que las desapariciones son sistemáticas y generalizadas en México. That disappearances in Mexico are widespread and systematic. Es decir. Cuando desaparecen a nuestros estudiantes en Guerrero, which means that when they disappeared our students in Guerrero, en otros estados de la República, in other states of Mexico, ya estábamos sufriendo las desapariciones de nuestros hijos, de nuestros esposos, de nuestras hermanas, de nuestros nietos. We were already suffering from the disappearances of our sons, our um, husbands, our children. Regularmente con la participación de un agente del Estado. Usually with the involvement of some member of the state. Al parecer, la búsqueda de nuestros seres amados it seems that the search of our, our loved ones solo nos importa a nosotros. is only important for us. Al Estado, the state, no le interesa buscarlos porque sería eh, culparse a ellos mismos de las desapariciones. The state doesn't want to look for them because that would imply themselves in the disappearances. 
All the investigations for finding Roy las ha, hemos hecho nosotros, su have, familia. Have been done for us, uh, by us, by our, uh, the, his family. Cuando nosotros entregamos pistas a la policía, when we give some clues to the police, curiosamente se detiene todo. Everything uh, stops there. Y no avanza. And nothing goes forward. Necesitamos que el mundo sepa que en México nos están desapareciendo. We need the world to know that in Mexico we are being disappeared. Este es Roy. This is Roy. Es Nadie debe desaparecer. No one should be Nunca. disappear. Nunca. Uh, Nadie. Never. En ningún no lugar. Way. No más desapariciones en México. No Ni more disappearances lugar. in Mexico or in any other place. A raíz de la desaparición de Roy. Uh, when Roy disappeared. Um, es cuando hace 10 años Felipe Calderón, el expresidente de México, inicia la guerra contra el narcotráfico. Ten years ago, Felipe Calderón, president of Mexico, um, started the war against drugs or war on drugs. Y lanza a todas las fuerzas armadas a la calle. And he puts the armed forces on the streets. Y en todos los estados de la república empieza a inundarse de armas. And all the states in Mexico start to be flooded by arms. Y tienen licencia para matar. And they have license to kill. O desaparecer. Or disappear. Or to disappear. A Nuevo León le enviaron 3.000 elementos militares. They sent 3.000 um, military officials to Nuevo León. Más de la que tenía. Uh, and besides the ones that they were already there. Hoy en Nuevo León contamos. Today in Nuevo León we have. Policía municipal, municipal police, policía estatal, state police, policía federal, federal police, policía militar, military police, policía de la gendarmería, la nueva. Policía rural, rural police, yeah. marina, the marines. Or Navy. Navy. We have eight corps of the uh, state taking care of uh, us, or taking care of our security. 
pero al parecer a los que cuida son a los grupos delictivos. But it seems that they are um, taking care of the armed groups instead of taking care of us or Des, protecting us. Desde el 2010 o 9. Since 2010 or 2009. Uh, hasta la fecha. Until this day. En Nuevo León hemos conocido la violencia. We've known the violence in Nuevo León. Más cruel. The most cruel violence in Nuevo León. Más cruel que en los países que están en guerra. Even more than those countries that are at war. Ay, eh, hemos familiarizado, nos hemos familiarizado. We are familiarized now. Con los colgados. With the hang, when, with hanging people. Y los bloqueos en la calle. And blockades in the streets. Es por eso que ahora habemos miles de víctimas por asesinatos o desaparición de personas. This is why we are now uh, thousands of victims uh, either for uh, murders or killings or disappearances. En Nuevo León, um, en 2011 mismo, el año que desaparece Roy, In Nuevo León, in 2011, the year in which Roy was disappeared, fue incendiado un casino. A casino was burned. Por los Zetas. By the Zetas, uh, a drug cartel. Con la gente adentro. With uh, people inside. Muriendo 52 personas. And 52 people died. Lo cual todavía a la fecha está impune. We, um, this case is still in impunity today. En 2011 también asesinan al hijo de el poeta Javier Sicilia, que está allá. In 2011, um, the son of Javier Sicilia, the poet who is on that picture, was killed. El hijo y seis. Eh, amigos de Houston and uh, six friends of Houston. Fueron desaparecidos y luego los encontraron asesinados. They were disappeared and later found uh, killed. Él empieza eh, un movimiento de familiares de víctimas de la violencia. He started a movement of relatives of victims of the violence. Y recorren varios estados de la República Mexicana who went across several states of uh, Mexico. Dándonos voz. Giving us voice. Porque es una persona conocida. Because he's a well-known figure. Los tres que estamos aquí, todos hemos, estamos, bueno, yo estoy buscando a nuestros hijos y a él le asesinaron su hijo que es un doctor. Uh, the three people on this picture are looking for, uh, and then she said um, she's looking for her son who is disappeared, and uh, this man, uh, his son, was killed. Por los militares. By the military. Él es un doctor y lo hicieron pasar como narcotraficante. He's a doctor, and they said he was a drug dealer. Nosotros, eh, para sensibilizar a la, a la sociedad, Uh, to raise awareness in society. Porque el Estado uh, dice que 
a todos los que matan o desaparecen tienen relación con la delincuencia. Because the state says that uh, all the people that are killed or disappeared are involved in the organized crime. Nosotros nos organizamos para decirle a la sociedad que no es de esta manera. We got organized to tell society that this is not true. Y nos unimos a un movimiento que se llama Bordamos por la Paz. And we joined a movement that is called uh, Embroideries for Peace. Y bordamos los nombres de nuestros hijos asesinados o desaparecidos. And we embroider the names of our uh, children killed or disappeared. Y estos pañuelos han viajado por todo el mundo. And these handkerchiefs have uh, traveled all over the world. Este pañuelo, this handkerchief, lo bordaron para Roy, was uh, embroidered for Roy. Y estuvo en la exposición del Museo Victoria en Albert. And was exhibited at the Victoria and Albert Museum here in London. Como un objeto desobediente. As one of the disobedient objects. Y los pañuelos que están ahí. On the handkerchiefs that are hanging there. Los han bordado familiares. Have been embroidered by relatives. De personas desaparecidas o asesinadas. Of disappeared or killed persons. Y así nos juntamos en las plazas públicas y le decimos a la sociedad quiénes son nuestros hijos, que no son cifras que tienen nombre. That is how we get together in the public space and we tell society that, the, that our children are not numbers, that they have a history and that they have names. Ellos son una muestra pequeña de desaparecidos. They are a small sample of people disappeared in Mexico. Y nos seguimos encontrando familiares víctimas de la desaparición. Uh, we keep on um, finding relatives of the disappeared. Y seguimos marchando. And we keep on marching en diferentes ciudades de la República, in different cities of the country, con gente solidaria, with people in solidarity with us. También marchamos por Ayotzinapa, por nuestros estudiantes. We also march by our students uh, from Ayotzinapa. Porque es el mismo crimen. Because it's the same crime. Todos estos somos familiares o amigos de personas desaparecidas. Uh, all of these persons are relatives or friends of people disappeared. Gente, um, líderes sociales, artistas. Mm -hmm. uh, public figures, artists, journalists, uh, etc. También se unen a nuestra causa. Have also joined our cause. Y hacemos, nos organizamos con otras asociaciones o otros grupos como Hijos México. And we work with other groups or organizations like Hijos México. Que buscan a sus padres desaparecidos. That are looking for their parents who have been disappeared. Desde, año, desde los años 70s. From the 70s. 
y con eso confirmamos que la desaparición en México ha sido una práctica constante. And with that we can confirm that disappearances in Mexico are a constant practice. Y seguimos trabajando and we're still working con los familiares with the relatives. Y también eh, hemos tratado de hacer and, o empezado a hacer and we have started doing un registro nacional de datos de ADN uh, National DNA Database <laughs> que podamos manejar los mismos familiares that we as relatives can handle porque el gobierno no lo hace because the government is not doing that también buscamos en, en los lugares donde la gente sabe que ha habido actividad delincuencial We are also looking on the ground in places where people know that there has been criminal activity. Porque en Nuevo León se han encontrado cientos de fosas clandestinas. Because in Nuevo León, hundreds of mass graves have been found. Tomamos una plaza pública. We occupied a, um, a public square. Y le llamamos Plaza de los Desaparecidos. And we called it, um, we named it uh, Square of the Disappeared. Y pintamos sus rostros. Hemos empezado a pintar sus rostros. And we painted their faces there. Como para que los ojos de nuestros hijos desaparecidos. So that the eyes of our disappeared, uh, disappeared children. Le recuerden que que necesitamos buscarlos. Remind people that we need to look for them. Somos un, un grupo de familiares. We are a group of relatives que nos sustentamos solos. Who use our own resources to work. O con eh, donativos de amigos. Or, y, perdón. <laughs> or with donations of close or uh, friends or close people. Y hemos adquirido, logrado adquirir un dron. So we just bought this drone. Para usarlos en las búsquedas. So we can use it uh, when we go into the grounds and search for our mm -hmm. children. Y esa es una buena noticia and para nosotros. Those are good news for us. Mm -hmm. La guerra contra el narcotráfico en México en estos 10 años. The war against drugs in these 10 years in Mexico Nos ha dejado más de 100, muertos. has left more than 100,000 people killed y más de 28, and more than 28,300 people disappeared. ¿Dónde están? Where are they? Thank you.
Of course, I mean, what we're talking about is exactly the opposite to the song. You know, we don't want Roy to stay forever young. You know, we want Roy and 28,000 other Roy's to grow up with their mother or family reach middle age when Leticia has the misfortune to reach my um, That's the point. Um, and you know, what we're here to, to talk about is, of course, Leticia Broglie and the other 28,000 and the outrage of disappearance um, and that word missing which, you know, all things are relative and you should never compare one suffering to another because it's like chalk and cheese or different languages. But there is a way, in my experience, for what it's worth, to my kind of excuse of a life in Bosnia and Iraq, Mexico, whereby the 100,000 dead leave the scars that dead always leave, but the 28,000 missing leave a different kind of wound. And Leticia is too gracious to, to talk about herself. Um, I only met her half an hour before we started, but I can talk about others. That missing is a limbo, it is a torture, it is a sleepless purgatory of waiting, hoping, daring not to hope. It is a, a completely, um, I mean, it is a place that is nowhere. Um, I know a lady called Tesma who was violated all night, every night, in one of the concentration camps in Bosnia, but she says, even this is not my greatest pain, because I don't know where my son is. She's been waiting now 25 years, and yet still she keeps fresh bread in the larder and fresh milk in the fridge and a bottle of beer in case anywhere comes home. Even though she knows perfectly well as well, we won't go back as Roy's recent you know, the mass graves now appeared and appeared. But even then, you know, your, her boy, your boy, you know, might just be one of the ones who got away. And they do get away. And that, in a way, is part of the hope and the torture at the same time. Um, I'm going to stay, uh, well, I mean, the point about why it's so good to hear Leticia is because, you know, yes, we're here because of Way. This is what has brought us together. That's why we have you know, these, these dates, these events. Because in a way, Guerrero is an exception. And what you know, we, need, we need to do, and what Leticia has to do, is to make sure that Guerrero becomes iconic of everywhere else and everybody else, rather than a way of forgetting about everybody else. In Bosnia, Srebrenica, become a place where politicians can go cry crocodile tears, move on to the next thing, that one's done while everybody else is forgotten about. And that's what Guerrero has not become. 
That's what, you know, it has to be a way of talking about the other 28,000, like Roy. Um, I'm, just, I'm going to stay in Bosnia, actually, just for a short while, not for reasons that are distraction. In fact, it's hugely relevant to Mexico. In 1995, 6, the Hague Tribunal investigators from were confronted with the biggest sort of jigsaw puzzle of human remains since the third Reich. And they began to try and identify and came across this grotesque and appalling pattern whereby primary graves had been, as they say, robbed, bodies disinterred, reinterred in secondary graves, disinterred again, put into tertiary graves, sometimes all over the place. Um, so that as in Nuevo and everywhere else in Mexico, the roads are heaving with trucks carrying body parts around, but nobody says a thing. There is a rule of silence, which in that country has lasted for 25 years, and in Mexico has come to last since the drug war began this latest phase. Um, over 10 years, the forensic anthropologists and investigators looked for these people and tried to identify them using what we call classical methods, possessions, uh, dental records, uh, uh, um, jewellery found on the bodies, so on. And they did identify many. They misidentified many as well. But in a nutshell, in, 19, in, sorry, in 2005, I think of the International Commission for Missing Persons took over the operation, and everything changed. So this is relevant to Mexico, because when they started doing the DNA matching, going all around the world, taking blood samples from people like Leticia and matching it up against the, 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 the DNA extractions they were able to take from the, from the mass graves. It is instantaneous. They've developed a computer program that has barcode that barcodes the DNA and barcodes the blood. It takes a nanosecond for the computer to match the mother with the, with the remains. So why is this important in Mexico? Because there is no excuse any longer. There is no, it's too difficult, it's too expensive, it takes too long. It takes the speed of light for the bones to meet the mother's blood. Um, and so, you know, the, 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 this, this obfuscation at best, this active collaboration in the disappearing of the 20th in Mexico, is kind of beyond grotesque at that level. It is becoming, if the funds and the will are there, easy, relatively speaking, scientifically, to give the dead back to the living, or to find the missing if they're still alive. It's primal, and I think that's my point about the average of disappearance. You know, we're human beings with all the kind of faults and beauties of that. You know, we do these things like bury our dead. We've been doing it ever since the first apes got up on the plains of Africa and walked with apologies to any fundamentalist Christians in the audience. I mean, you know, that's what we do. It's, it's, it's our essence to do this and to not have you know, a place to lay the flowers, a grave to visit on Sunday after mass, whatever, is primal. It is a negation of, of humanity. Um, in Colombia, Something is happening which is, again, of huge relevance to Mexico and further disgraces Mexico and the Mexican government um, and further vindicates the claims of the Mexican people and these brave, brave organisations and people like Leticia and the people we've been seeing on the screen. 
Well, for a start, they're ending the world's longest war. That's another matter. This has huge consequences for narco traffic, because FARC is now going to go on joint patrols with the Colombian army trying to eradicate cocaine. Now, whatever you think of the Colombian army of President Santos, let's not go there. Uh, you know, this is an achievement. Um, but it also opens up vast tranches of land to excavate and exhume the mass graves, which are all over Colombia. It's the biggest internal displacement in the world. And not, not all those displaced people have been found. Um, you know, it, again, Mexico, Mr. President Peña Nieto and your institutions of state, it can be done. It is being done in the laboratories in Sarajevo. It is being done uh, uh, on the mass grave sites of, of Colombia, or it's about to start being done. So, you know, this, this as I say, this, this, this obfuscation at best, this complicity at worst, is beyond grotesque. Um, Ian Hansen was a man who uh, broke the very first earth uh, uh, of the very first mass grave and exhumed, exhumed after the Srebrenica massacre, which was 8,000 people in five days, um, called the world, pardon me, one big fucking NN mass grave. Uh, NN stands for no name, as, uh, as, as everybody knows only too well. Uh, there are many graves in the world that want to simply mark NN because they found the body, but they haven't found the name. Those are usually people who were found before DNA match. When the biggest mass grave in Bosnia was found two years ago, three years ago, at Tomasica, some between 80 and 90% of those have already been identified. That's how easy it is, and Leticia has just told us that there are 2,500 missing people in the world, and how many uh, body parts? 250,000 250, bits of what the scientists, a new word I learned in the last month called ossuary material, sounds a little um, uh, callous, but it's a better than personalising it. You know, this is all testable. This is all matchable with Leticia's blood, and the blood of the other 28,000 who came. So that's my other point. Um, and, you know, I'm going to stick to my English because we must open this up in Leticia's talk. There's another thing about this. You know, this is the London-Mexico Solidarity Campaign. God bless you. Um, and come. Uh, let's not think of this as some distant place where distantly horrible things happen that we're somehow <clears throat> um, compassionate towards in our lofty way from this city. Um, this is where, above Canary Wharf, the tower stands and rises with the letters HSBC on it. That is the bank of Chapel Guzman, who has, uh, uh, well, if it hasn't, um, if it doesn't continue to, to, to bank his money. He's obviously found someone else to do it. They're probably in Canary Wharf too, if not Wall Street. You know, we are involved in this. And I saw underneath Christina Alistair's uh, little photograph there, it says, Nos faltan todos. Thank you. Right, well, it does. It's not just the Mexicans that in faltan. It's us too. Because we are. The, 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 I mean, you know, Chapel Guzman spends his money on snow leopards, beauty queens, and mariachi bands. Well, there aren't enough to go around on which to spend $372 billion 
there aren't, you know, there aren't enough musicians and beauty queens to pay that kind of money. Um, no, it's all in. It, it was, it, that amount of money, 370 billion, was taken by the Waco Indian Bank. They've admitted it. They, no one's gone to jail. It's now been taken over by Wells Fargo. They're getting investigated for narco money laundering for two years after the uh, Casa de Cambio Puebla, which was laundering the chapel's money for, for uh, Wachovia, was under investigation. Um, HSBC continued to use it. Oh, we need nothing. Oh, yeah. Only the narcos were putting boxes of cash, hundreds of thousands of dollars, through boxes specially <coughs> cut to fit through the teller's windows in Culiacan. But oh, I mean, we knew nothing of Bob, says Paul Thurston. He has the names that do. The, the head of HSBC Mexico is now the head of global retail on three million a year, thanks very much, plus the bonuses. Um, uh, you know, the, the impunity that, that starts at the police station that Leticia reported her son missing at in Nuevo León goes right to the top, not only of the banking system, but the political system in this rotten country. Sir Philip, uh, not Green, getting muddled up, was his name Simon Brown? No, what was his name? Green, the other Green, Stevens Green. Yeah, it's, it's Green. Green. <laughs> uh, Knights of the Empire. Um, uh, Green. He was the CEO of it, just to see all of this was going on. What's his punishment? Oh, he's made, he's made a trade secretary, David Cameron's cabinet. So the rot, the, the impunity of the rot, starts in that police station when you saw them glaze over as you did when you went to report missing. Always the top of the British government. So that's where we, you know, we can do things here now, as well as listen to them. Um, you know, it shames us all. And um, just, you know, in conclusion, you know, there, there is no... There is, there is no shame. I don't think there is any shame in pain like that of, of the, of the, in the lives of the numbers of families you see when you read that word, missing or disappeared. Thank you. short things to say um, I was, uh, which are about the, the military's role in this specifically and the implications of that um, I'm a historian so that's what I know about so that's the perspective I'm going to be mainly be coming from I'm going to be very brief because some, you know, some very important things have already been said I want to give us plenty of time for questions and answers and discussion and also there's a very good film uh, that we're showing on Friday which is, I would also recommend, particularly if you're interested in this, but also particularly on the military's role. So, um, I've just got a few notes here I'm going to 
talk about. Um, when we, when we were first met, um, I think a couple of years ago, we ran the first event about Ayotzinapa a few weeks after it happened uh, here. And uh, we talked about general crisis in Mexico, human rights, the war on drugs. We didn't talk very much about the military. I don't think we talked, it didn't really come up at all. It was kind of in the background, but no, it hadn't really become an issue or associated with the Ayotzinapa. That changed. So when we met a year ago, we talked about it quite a lot, and we still are now. Um, so initially, the military involvement was not really sort of suspected. It wasn't sort of front and centre, but it soon became um, a key theme in debate about Ayotzinapa. Um, so first of all, I just want to talk about why uh, suspicions about military collusion or involvement have, have grew quickly and then um, and are very much still with us. First of all, you have the proximity of the barracks to what happened in, in, in Iguala. It's really several hundred yards away. Um, so there's that basic issue of, well, you know, all of this was going on. You had gunfights. You had people um, firing bullets into, into coaches. Surely the military knew about this. That was the first uh, thing that people would be going to ask. Second reason, uh, the, incre- the, the, the inconsistencies in the version of the official truth came out, which we, we heard about a little bit at the beginning. We can go into this in more detail, so I'm not going to repeat, repeat it. But basically, um, you know, the official line, this was, this was a purely local matter. It was all just about local authorities and local corruption and local police force, military, federal institutions, and the military in particular weren't really involved, didn't know what was going on. Um, soon it became clear, because of le- leaked communication documents within the, the military and, and civilian intelligence system, the military officers did know what was going on, partly because military officers dressed in civilian clothes were present at some of the events and informing their superiors of what was going on. Uh, and also the military were harassing some of the people, witnesses to these events uh, when they later went to the hospital. So you have these inconsistencies in the historical truth, not to mention all the procedural, the utterly, shamefully cack-handed way, really, in which the investigation was carried out. So that's another factor why the military became under more suspicion. Compounding that, and soon afterwards, you have the silence and and total non-cooperation of the military in the face of, uh, which is is in in, in official investigations, which is exemplified by their refusal to be interviewed by the experts of the Inter-American Commission on Human Rights. Um, And Compounding that, the subsequent promotion of the, the general in charge of the military zone of Guerrero, which happened I think, a couple of weeks after the events in Iguala. Now, all of this, so this, this immediately raised questions and suspicions about why the military didn't act, were they complicit, were they involved. On top of that, we also, of course, have the general context of <coughs> military abuses. Uh, associate which uh, spiked with the war on drugs since the year two, 2006 uh, and which have continued after the war on drugs has supposedly came to an end in 2012. Notably in cases, mo- the most visible case is Tatlaya, extrajudicial ex- executions carried out the, by the military. So there's also that general context going on as well. We have no sense really of what proportion of disappearances or extrajudicial executions um, 
were carried out by or with the conclusion of military forces or other state agencies. It's very difficult to be precise about that. But there's plenty of evidence that torture, disappearances, um, uh, extrajudicial ex executions are systematic practices within the Mexican armed forces. Um, so there's all of these things which, which brought to, uh, you know, which brought the military's involvement into question. Specifically in Guerrero as well, you have a very the historical memory of the long role of the military in specifically the state of Guerrero itself, and that as a historian I'm going to talk a little bit more about. Essentially, really since the 1970s, you have a long history of the government using the excuse of, the, the, of cracking down on the, on the, on the drug war and on drug trafficking to, as a cover for engaging in political repression of student social movements, political movements, uh, and, and also counterinsurgency against guerrillas. Uh, so using the sort of this idea of the, of, of the drug war to engage in repression, but then also to engage, to involve themselves in drug trafficking, right? Uh, that's kind of the, the quid pro quo. So, and this really begins in the 1970s, and it's, it's an open wound in Guerrero. It's, it's a public secret. It's not even that much of a secret. Uh, the two key officers from the 1970s, uh, General Acosta Chaparro and General Quiroz El Marcillo, um, were later arrested because of their complicity uh, with, with, with drug trafficking in the 1990s. But they were arrested for their involvement with another cartel, with the Ciudad Juarez cartel, related things. They were not tried for things that they did in the 1970s, for the full history of this. And, and one of them, Acosta Chaparro, was let out anyway a few years afterwards. So it's an open wound, it's a, it's a public secret, really, in Guerrero. And so you have this, the, the idea that the war on drugs and, and the war on social and political dissidents, or the dirty war, are closely intertwined and sometimes very difficult to prise apart. It's a very familiar one in Guerrero. It's one increasingly familiar across Mexico as a whole. But there, there is that. And of course you have the, the students themselves in Ayotzinapa who very much see themselves as inheriting the legacy of the radical of, of political and social dissidents and guerrillas from the 60s and 70s, many hundreds of whom were killed and disappeared uh, by the military. So you have this specific Guerrero history here, which also is the echoes of which are, are you know, very hard to put out of your mind. Huh? <clears throat> I would just note that... Um, you know, the, the, I mean, it's like talking about Acosta Chaparro and Quiroz Hermosillo, their involvement in the 70s, these are not sort of wild kind of accusations. They're very well documented by historians and by official government-sponsored historical reports, actually. Uh, the, the closest thing that Mexico's had to a kind of truth commission report, uh, which came out in the early 2000s, and then also the, the Guerrero, the, the, the state... Um, what was it called? The Truth State Commission. Truth Commission of Guerrero, which was published also a couple of years ago. Um, it's full of evidence about these things. It's very well documented. Uh, and on top of all, of all of this, you have the, as, you know, as Ayotzinapa got more headlines, more journalists went there, more and more witnesses came out to talk about the apparently very cosy relationship which had been there for a long time between Los Albarca, the, uh, the, uh, the couple in charge of uh, the municipal Okay, the municipal president of, of uh, Iguala, uh, his cosy relationship with the battalion commander and, and the military hierarchy in Guerrero, which involved at some point 
the military giving him land to build a, a fancy mall on the outskirts of Iguala. So these are the reasons why, if, if military involvement was not immediately part of the story, it soon became one. So what can, I, what, what can we say uh, about the military's role in this? I mean, the, the basic answer is, I don't know. Uh, may, most people don't know. But in many ways, this is the point we can't know. It illustrates, if nothing else, this case, the, the lack of accountability, the opacity of the military as an institution in Mexico. It's come through loud and clear through this case. And... Uh, how that can then leach legitimacy from the military itself, but also from the, the government and the state. Um, I don't want to go on too much longer. I'll just make a few more points about, um, about this, this, the military's autonomy and, and, and lack of oversight and lack of accountability. I talked about the 1970s. That, the military's sort of secrecy and autonomy, that goes back even longer, really, in Mexico, uh, in the wake of the Mexican Revolution in the 1920s and 1930s, there wasn't really any kind of consensus on what the military's role in the political system was going to be. By the mid-1950s, basically you have a kind of political pact that emerges, which is foundational for the pre-regime and really the modern Mexican state. Uh, and the pact goes something like this. The military, you do the dirty work for political and economic elites in Mexico and some of the non-dirty work, like cleaning up after hurricanes and things like that. And in return, the military uh, runs its own affairs and enjoys impunity for the things that it does, uh, with very little civilian involvement uh, over its budget, over its internal pro processes, justice, and things like that. So that's a very old political pact, which is, um, goes back a long way, and in many ways with some alterations, uh, I think is still with us and is illustrated by this. Um, it's not a peculiar... At the same time, Mexico is certainly not... I don't want to present this as kind of a peculiarly Mexican problem. I agree with Ed on this. It's a very well-known... Many, many democracies struggle with exactly how to integrate the military into, into, their, into the political system, how to control it. Most democracies agree that deploying the military that is, the specialists, the institutional specialists in unaccountable, in, in, in lethal force and, and, and impunity uh, is a very bad idea in, the, in domestic... Okay. <laughs> in, in domestic politics. And that's why many democracies create very strict kind of institutional legal safeguards before sending the military onto the streets to do police work, Right? Those safeguards really don't exist in Mexico and haven't done in any way. In, in, interestingly, the country which has funded, a, spent a lot of money uh, and, 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 and aid, sent a lot of aid to, the United, uh, to, to Mexico, the United States, itself does, has very strict safeguards about when the, their military can be used domestically in, their country, in, in the United States. Those standards are not seen as applicable to other countries around them, whereas I think it would be a good idea if they were. So it's not this general dilemma of and these problems and very predictable costs in, of, of using the military as an institution to do police work. It's not a peculiarly Mexican problem, although it does have this deep history within Mexico. Nor do I think we should think about the... We, nor do we need to focus solely on the, Mex, on the military as the kind of uh, 
core or root of these problems, it's very, very important, but we shouldn't sort of reify the human... Uh, you know, it's, 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 it's understandable to put the military and military culpability front and centre because it has this great symbolic charge and it, it goes right to the top. But it's, in some ways it's a rarefication and a mystification. I mean, in the early 2000s, it used to be political scientists used to talk about the Mexican military as a kind of authoritarian enclave, as a leftover from the old regime with its old practices and autonomy, and it needed to be kind of adjusted to, make, to be made less of an enclave and more in keeping with the democracy. I had problems with that concept at the time, and now I think it's really, truly unhelpful. Uh, I have problems with the temporality of it, the idea that the military impunity and, and repression is some sort of legacy that's just from the past and we haven't got around to correcting it. Yes, in a way, but military practices endure for very contemporary interests and reasons. No? And we need to, that's, that's the point. And also this idea of an enclave, the idea that the, I mean, it does, the military is it's worth understanding as an institution which works in a particular way, which has particular traditions, but it's not some isolated monolith. Uh, military officers, we talk about criminal, criminals, there's no such thing as criminal networks. There are just networks which have criminals in them, as long with, along with politicians and bankers and so forth. Well, much the same could be said about the military. There's no such thing as military networks. There are networks which have criminals, officers, politicians, policemen. And that's how it's always worked in Mexico. And in many ways, Aguala shows that that's, that's still the case. Um, a final point. I want to end on a slightly more hopeful note before we get into the question and answer. Um, the military still enjoys, if you look at opinion polls, still enjoys quite substantial support in Mexican society. People believe the costs of using the military are generally uh, somehow are outweighed by the benefits. On the other hand, I think you can also see this coexists with, I think, a lot more criticism, a lot more open criticism and knowledge about the military than certainly I can recall as a historian than I think has existed before. So it's this kind of paradoxical situation. We're inviting you to watch this film on Friday about the military. People had watched films documenting military repression in the 1970s, but they were banned and they were secretive affairs and you couldn't actually do it in Mexico uh, without being very ca careful. You can watch these films. They are at least legal to watch. Um, you have the some of the examples of historical research, which I already mentioned. And most of all, you have very brave uh, social movements and journalists who are working on this and trying to shed light and, 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 uh, on the military and how it works and, 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 and what it's doing. A good example of this would be a recent book I, I read a few weeks ago, which is why it's on my mind, Ana Olivia Perez's Verdugos, which is about uh, con the contemporary military, uh, how it's trained, various um, human rights abuses which soldiers have engaged in. It's completely unprecedented as a publication in Mexico. There's no precedent for a book about the military like that being written by a, a, a journalist. So I take some hope from that, uh, not from the contents of the book, but by the, from the fact that it's been published and is being read in Mexico. Um, that's, uh, that's about all I wanted to say. Um, I'm sure we'll have a lot of time for questions. Uh... Oh, yeah, sure. And then over, well, before we do that, over to Ed, I think. Yeah. Yes, sorry, this is me cheating, because I was so moved by Letitia, I forgot to the public. Carries on a bit. Sorry about this, this is 
over time. Um, the corporate thing, I mean, we, we, we're talking about the apparatus of state, the army, police, all this. But we live in this world of, uh, of the sort of the, the multinational supra state of the boardrooms. And there's something in this whole discourse on the missing, just we, before we close, just to bear in mind. Um, there are words, there are sort of whispers, and um, one of the other very brave journalists involved in this, Mexico, they are amazing. You know, we don't have periodismo combativo, as they call it in Mexico. Um, which we did. Um, and um, that they, they're, uh, there's a woman called Sandra Rodriguez Nieto who's working on the energy reforms. And there is starting to be this sort of horrendous prospect, to, with apologies for Tom trying to inject a moment of optimism, <laughs> <laughs> of, of of, of the, 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 the arrival of fracking and the right of oil companies basically to whatever is beneath the earth that they know is there, regardless of who lives on it. Think, Irish famine. What do you want to do when you want to get rid of people? You get rid of them. If they're in the way, you clear them away. Land clearances, as they were known in, in, my, in our world. Um, Leticia's mentioned it briefly. You know, it's, it's, it's uncertain, but in Veracruz, BP and others, just to bring us back to London, have found huge gas and oil reserves. These are olive groves that have been attended to by the Olmec people for millennia. They're in the way. Uh, the Zetas are freely available as a bailiff service to anyone who pay them. Um, and we understand that in Nuevo León, uh, it's sort of being hallmarked for fracking. Uh, it's just, you know, we, we, in that nexus that Tom has talked about, with the sort of the, the, the criminals, the politicians, the soldiers, you know, add the businessmen and add the money they wield and add the, uh, the, 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 the apparently unending uh, um, uh, degree to which Mexico, starting with the Maquiladores in 1960, is prepared to, with apologies to some of you who may find the word offensive, to prostitute itself to these interests of these corporations. The electronics companies in the Maquiladoras along the northern border that now have a nightmarish prospect of the arrival of fracking and oil prospecting and the notion of land debts. You just want to make people disappear, they disappear. So just embarrassing. Sorry, thank you. Um.